0: Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. In your grace, Lord, and thank you, uh, Father, that uh, that you have called us to be uh, servants of you, called us to be agents for your will uh, in this world. And so, dear Heavenly Father, as uh, we bring a message forth today, I pray that you would anoint my mind, anoint my lips, to speak your heart to us and help us to get a bigger vision of who you are and what you are about, Lord. And uh, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hand held? There we go. Can you hear me? All right. So we don't have any... Oh. I didn't even give you anything. We're doing Hebrews 3. No PowerPoint. We're doing Hebrews 3, so you can just pull that up and go through Hebrews 3. Uh, sorry about that. I, uh, I've not been firing on all cylinders this week. You know, with the kids in the house and upon everything else. So I apologize, but uh, we're doing Hebrews 3. Uh, we're going on with a series in Hebrews. Um, and we're going to call this one Attaining God's Rest. Uh, because there, there are elements about uh, God's rest in the Scriptures and what to do to get it and what to do to not get it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So last week, Kara gave the message on Hebrews 2 um, about God's love for humanity and Jesus' devotion to becoming a person to amend the broken relationship between God and man. Um, it's an amendment that comes with a promise of eternal, or we could also say transcendent, rest. The reason I I make that uh, delineation is because a lot of times when we think eternity, we think when we get to the other side. But when we think transcendent, it means it's something that we can tap into eternity here and now. And so there's this idea that, that goes around when we think of eternity that we'll rest when we get to the other side. But I don't think that that's the full measure of it. I think there's a big part of it about attaining God's rest while we're here on earth. And so I want to, when I use eternal, I want to try to put transcendent in there because there's a here and now element to God's rest as well. <clears throat> so, so Jesus accomplished his part. He fulfilled the mission. He bridged the gap. And when we look at Hebrews, we don't know who actually wrote Hebrews. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas. They never identify themselves. Um, I think most of the scholars that I have talked to usually side with Barnabas um, because it's somebody who really does know like the Jewish way of things like like there's there's it's there's tons of Jew, Jewish references in there so it's probably not uh, a Gentile believer but we don't we don't quite think it's Paul um, just the way it goes about but anyway neither here nor there the author of Hebrews um, turns his attention to the believers Um, There's part of the salvation plan that's not yet complete. um, And parts of the mission that have not been completed. Um, And restlessness, when we experience restlessness, um, is a moniker of that incompletion. So when we experience restlessness in our lives as believers, there's something incomplete in what we're doing with the Lord in this relationship aspect. So what is left undone is... in. Um, is the enduring faithfulness of the individual believer. So Jesus did his part, you know. On the cross, it is finished, right? He's accomplished his part of the mission. Now he's handed part of it off to the church to do some stuff. And what we need to complete is this enduring faithfulness to the Lord. And it is to this end that the author of Hebrews turns his attention but he doesn't do it in a condemning way. There's an admonition. Admonition meaning a warning, right? There's a warning about it. But it's not condemning. And he does it in a way that is loving and encouraging, uh, regardless of the, the level of warning that's in it. <clears throat> so Hebrews 3. So I'm going to read through it, um, and then we'll break some points down. And I'm going try to try to go pretty fast so we have some time for uh, the Father's Day um, presentation at the end. Well, presentation. We're going to get all gift cards. So we went time for all the fathers to be able to get their gift cards today. So Hebrews 3, starting in verse 1, says this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for forty years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So, I declared on oath oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So we have a whole generation of Israelites. If you've read Exodus, you kind of know. Forty years, a whole generation never entered the rest of God um, because of uh, their disobedience, because of their hard-heartedness. So he goes on... um, and that's a pull from Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. And you don't have to pull these up if, uh, if it's uh, too crazy, uh, Catherine. The whole Israelite community, this is in Exodus, set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped in Rafidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? So they just had this miraculous set of encounters with the plagues of Egypt. They were spared all of it. They were given tons of riches from the Egyptian people just to get out of the country. They're led out of the country. Pharaoh pursues them. God blocks it with a pillar of cloud, And they end up at the Red Sea, the Reed Sea. God parts those waters and they walk over on dry land. The entire Egyptian army gets drowned. Now that they're on the other side, God sent us out here to die. Like, really? You just saw this with your own eyes. And now they're testing the Lord. They're quarreling with Moses because they want water. And and so they're losing this faith that God really has their best interest in mind. Hmm. So, to continue in um, and, uh, Exodus, Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are all most ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, which means quarreling and strife, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested, or testing, quarreling and testing, um, because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord not among us? So that's our flashback that this Hebrew author is referencing. So now back to Hebrews 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Verse 16, Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were they not all? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt, and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So we're starting to get a hint here, right? There's a level of unbelief, there's a level of disobedience There's a level of uh, strife and testing of the Lord that has led to the Israelites in the wilderness not entering into God's rest. You could make the case that had they done the opposite of those four things, even in the wilderness they could have experienced the rest of the Lord in a transcendent way. But they were stuck on the here and now. They were stuck on what they didn't have as opposed to what they did have. They were stuck on what they didn't see God doing as opposed to what they did see God do. And because of that focus, they were turned against God and they forewent the ability to see God's rest. So that's just from the passage. So number one, the number one thing that that we can look at, how do we enter the Lord's rest? Both in eternity, right, is remaining faithful, but here on earth transcendently is... To focus on the Savior, not the situation. We focus on the Savior. That's where things start happening. That's where we see his goodness and his grace poured out. That's where we see his provision. The Israelites under Moses quarreled with Moses and tested the Lord because they were looking at their situation. They forgot about the parting of the waters, and they forgot about the drowning of Pharaoh's army, and they forgot about the plagues. They were now focused on, I'm thirsty and I want water. God's here to kill me. Like, like what, what kind of a jump do we make on that? <clears throat> so, they easily forgot the immensely powerful things that God has done up until this point. <clears throat> um, reading Psalm 95 uh, and the Hebrews recitation sheds a new light on the concept of rebellion. They, focusing on a situation and not the Savior is rebellion and this turned the Israelites against God which is why they perished in the wilderness another example we have of focusing on the situation is with Peter in the storm remember all the disciples are on the uh, on the boat it's rocking and Jesus comes walking on the water and oddly enough it says it like it looks like he was going to walk past them and they call out to him and he comes over and Peter's like, if it's you, let me walk on the water. He's like, okay, come on out. Right? So Peter starts walking on the water. What does he do? He starts looking at the storm. Takes his eyes off the Lord. He starts looking at the situation. Taking his eyes off of the Savior. What does he do? Plunges right into the water. <clears throat> because to experience God's goodness, to be able to, to have that as a constant in your life requires this focus. On the Savior, a focus on the Lord, not on the things around us. I mean, as charismatics, we can talk about focusing on the Lord more than focusing on the gifts of the Spirit. Those are good. Those are great. Those are powerful. We use them. They're tools. We can enjoy them. Praise God. Focus on the Savior. When it comes to spiritual warfare, when we focus more on the demonic than we do on the Lord we get tossed to and fro, fro, even as believers, we can get tossed to and fro in spiritual warfare and get worn down and get exhausted and get beaten down because we're focusing on trying to conquer the demon as opposed to adoring who God is and letting that presence of God and the Holy Spirit just come to this level of expansion in our lives that it just easily flushes the demonic away. We can talk a little bit more about that if we do ever do a session on spiritual warfare, that's just a little little nibble there. So, number one, how do we enter this transcendent rest in the Lord? Focus on the Savior, not on the situation. It could be financial, it could be spiritual, it could be relational. You focus on the Savior, not on the situation. That's our first step. Number two, when we are confident in God and hope in His glory, we are God's house, and God's family. <clears throat> so that's another part of entering this rest of the Lord, is being confident in who God is. So you focus on the Savior, you see his track record, you acknowledge his track record, so you're confident he's going to take care of other things. right? Uh, There's going to be a few uh, handful of weeks down the road, but Hebrews 11 starts out, What is faith? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? The whole substance of faith is things that, that we yearn for in the Lord, that we hope for because of the promises that he made. And he didn't just make an empty promise. He gave a down payment, just like if you go buy a car, you're making a down payment saying, I'm going to pay the rest of this off. Jesus' down payment, you remember this? The gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the down payment that God says, I'm good for this. And here's the Holy Spirit to, as the down payment. That's just the beginning, right? Right? I mean, some, some churches have a hard time with this Holy Spirit aspect, and like, getting the Holy Spirit is just the beginning of the process. There's so much more to build on that. And there's this hope, this confidence in who God is. The hope and the glory um, that we are God's house, we are God's family. So when you get that as a mindset, that it's not, it's not just me and Jesus, right? It's the church, that we are the church. The church is this bride of Christ, When we get that idea, we get an idea of God's love and faithfulness to his people. So we begin to think as the family of God. We begin to think in terms of this alignment of the kingdom of heaven, of what God's mission is. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, says that our bodies are a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. We are the temple of God. Because, you know, even when when David wanted to build the temple, right, what did God say? Am I a man that I live in a house? Like, I don't need that. But if, if you want that to be an act of worship to me, then go ahead and get everything ready. You can't do it for reasons that were stated. Your son can do it, but you can prep everything. I'll let you build me a house. But God's not worried about it. He wants to dwell human hearts. He wants to live inside of us because we are his temple. We are the holy place. So we have this confidence in God. We are his household. We are his family. And it is our confidence in God and our ongoing connection to Jesus that keeps us part of God's family. <clears throat> there, whenever we look at Scripture, we can look at the analogies that are used. And, and you know whether or not you think some things in Genesis are analogies or reality, I'm not worried about that tree of life in the garden, okay? When we look at the tree of life in the garden, I had a debate with a, a friend of mine back in school about this. That He thought that the tree of life was had the, had the kind of fruit that you eat it once and you live forever. That was his opinion. My opinion, because the way I see it played out in the rest of scripture, is that the tree of life gave you eternal life as long as you kept going back and eating the fruit. You had to have regular access to the tree of life. So when Adam and Eve got cut off from access to the tree of life, they could no longer eat from that fruit, and then they begin to age and die. So there's more to it, but that's the gist of it. Why do I come up with that? Because when Jesus is talking about himself, right? Analogous, analogously, is that a word? Um, Jesus is referenced as a tree of life, right? He's also referenced as the true vine, right? And what does he say? I am the vine, you are the branches. When you abide in me, you have my life in you. So there, there has to be this connection, right? The branches of the, of the grapevine has to be connected to the root, has to be connected to the main vine to sustain life. Once that connection is severed, what does he say? It's, it's it's good for nothing except to be thrown into the fire. So there's this this need for continual access to Jesus, and that's what's going on here. Is that if we're going to be the house of God, right? If we're going to be the family of God, we have to have this continual access to Jesus, this ongoing connection to Jesus, on a relational level, on a faith level. Um, we have to be connected to Jesus to remain as part of God's family. And so the, the author of Hebrews is saying, like, we we have to have to maintain this confidence in God, this hope in God's promises, because when we're hoping for God's promises, because of his track record of being good to us, we will stay connected to Jesus, which means we will stay belonging to God's household. <clears throat> And that helps us with seeing this eternal transcendent perspective where we can experience God here and now, not just when we go through the pearly gates, right? The here and now. And that puts our situation in a better perspective. It doesn't matter what we can go through. Humanity, we're going to go through things. And, and some of us are going to go through much harder and more horrible things than others. Um, because we don't get to map out everything that happens in our lives. However, our focus on the Lord, our connection to Jesus, is the key to being, to being able to, to love God, to love people, and have the life of God inside of us. We have to have that connection, and when we're focused, once again, we're focused on the Savior and not on the situation, our perspective changes. Because our Savior is much bigger than any situation. Even if it's hard to see it from time to time. In the middle of the storm, it's hard to see God's goodness. We, most of us, if we've had any serious walk in the faith, like there are times where we're like, Lord, are you even there? Um, as one of my uh, teenage uh, pastors during my teenage years used to say, like, if you're praying, it just sounds like it's bouncing off of brass walls. Because it doesn't sound like he's hearing. But he's there, and he's hearing and it's in those situations where, where we can say, I'm not hearing anything, and I'm going to choose to keep serving. I'm going to choose to stay connected to Jesus, or I'm not hearing anything. God doesn't care, and then walk away. I mean, like those are those are pivotal choices that we make. That was a choice I made when years ago, as a teenager, uh, when my mom was dying. That. I had a choice to make, like at that deathbed. I had a choice to choose whether or not to hold on to God, even though I didn't understand, I was scared, things were going against me, right? Like my whole world was coming crashing down because I was losing my mother. Do I hold on to God with all that I've got? Or do I say, God, you didn't save my mom, why should I serve you? Like, those were that was a choice I had to make. And I didn't have anywhere to go, so I held on. I said, all right, I don't understand this, Lord. Maybe you know something I don't. I'm holding on for everything that I got. You know, that was, oh man, that was 1995. (laughs) Uh, To throw a date on there, 1995. Here it is, 2023. God's been good to me. God's been good to me. Um, And it's that perspective. It's trusting that God has the best in mind for his people, even when we don't see it, even when we're going through difficult situations. And it, it, I would say it requires focusing on the Savior more than the situation. And so that helps us to begin to see this eternal perspective transcendent in the fact that we can do that to a degree here and now. So that's, uh, that's the second way that we encounter God's rest. So the first one is focusing on the Savior, not the situation. The second is, is holding on to that hope and that glory uh, of being part of God's family, of being connected to Jesus, of being the household of God. Number three, we all, we're all in this together. We're in this faith together. It's, there's no man is an island in the church. We need faithful believers to encourage us. We're going to get down in the dumps. We're going to get to a point where we can't see through our faith eyes. It happens. It's humanity that's a that part of that war between the flesh and the spirit that we deal with. Like we we lose focus. it happens. It's a part of life. It's a part of the faith walk. So we need other believers to come along and encourage us. That's why um, I think it's Hebrews four. I, I, I couldn't give you the uh, the, the, um, the address, as Byron calls it, the the chapter and verse. In Hebrews it does say, Be careful not to forsake the assembling together of one another because we are in this together. So we need believers to encourage us. And that's that's coming out of verse 13 that we read. Nobody can keep an unwavering focus on eternity. There's too much of the flesh that keeps distracting us. The fallen world keeps pulling our minds back, whether it's, can I pay the bills this month? Whether it's, like, I've got this, you know, a family member that's uh, really unhealthy in the way that they relate to people. And we get sucked into it. I've got this situation. I've got that situation. We'll get pulled away. God knew this. He knew that we'd get distracted. And he designed our redemption. I'll put it that way. He designed our redemption to include an outward focus. Our main focus is God. That's the design. Our redemption becomes complete as we maintain this focus on God. right? We maintain this connection to Jesus. Second, to have that connection with fellow believers, to other people who are in a different stage in life, who are in a different situation, who can speak from a different angle and testify to God's goodness. There's a couple of times where um, I've I've sat down with uh, Wayne and we just had talks and, and this is this is basically my, my station in, in life. This is my, my philosophy because I, I read proverbs and I hear that like gray hair, white hair is a sign of wisdom. And so I tell Wayne like man to man, the person who has more gray hair should have more space to speak because we can learn from that. right Now, I told I told Wayne, because you know, he's a lot more like white hair than I am, right? I was like, Wayne, you got like you know a couple hours worth to speak. I got like you know 20 minutes because <laughs> uh, I'm not fully gray. But that's that sign of wisdom and, and to respect not not just the gray hair, right? That's just a, an, an example. Those that have gone along the path before us, those who have life experience, who've come out on the other end with uh, experience and being faithful to the Lord. You know, like I I tell people, like my life's pretty much an open book. Some about what to do right, a lot about what not to do right. But learn from it. You know, like if I find somebody who's gone the path before me, there's something I can learn from that. There's there's some wisdom I can learn, whether the things they did right, the things they did wrong. There's things that I can learn from listening to people who have gone before me, and that's where this team of believers, this family of God comes into play is that we've got, what, 15 people in here today. We all have different life experiences. We're all in different stages, and we don't have the monopoly on knowledge. I don't have the monopoly on knowledge. Did I go to grad school for it? Yeah. That doesn't mean I know everything. Ooh, we can parse a Greek word. How's that going to help me when my mom's dying of cancer, right? I mean, like, there's Practical things of human beings that we can learn from in our relationship to one another. And God built that into our redemption. How do we keep the faith? One, we focus on the Lord. Two, we're part of a community, right? We're part of the family of God where we can build each other up. We can encourage each other. So this is the biblical safeguard um, that keeps us from falling into deception and to rebellion. Like, one, focus on the Lord to um, communal uh, activity with our believers, uh, with other believers, that we talk to each other, we encourage each other in the trials we go through and the victories that we have. That's important. So then, in conclusion, told you I tried to keep it short and sweet. Hebrews 3 lovingly warns about the dangers of falling into the deception of sin, leading to hard hearts and rebellion. So, when the situation becomes a bigger focus than the Savior, we're giving ourselves over to a level of deception. We're deceiving ourselves to say this situation is more important than God. When we don't maintain a connection to the family of God, we're deceiving ourselves to think that we can go it alone. Because we can't. We need each other. And we need to to build each other up and encourage each other. That's why it's really good to have... A, Barnabas's in the church, right? Because what does Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement. We need sons and daughters of encouragement in the church to build each other up, to be there for each other. That will safeguard us against the deception of sin and that deception which will lead to hardness of hearts and rebellion. So focus on the Savior, not the situation. The wilderness uh, Israelites began to harden their hearts God, because they focused on their plight instead of God's goodness. They began to believe this deception that God didn't care for them. They became antagonistic toward God. When we focus on God instead of our situation, we see things from an eternal perspective. Even the here and now, when we're focused on God, He gives us the ability to see things from an eternal perspective, from the mind of eternity. Confidence in God and living in connection to Jesus is another key aspect. It's part of our transformative life in Christ. We begin to relate to things differently. And then finally, being surrounded with faithful believers um, because we can't keep that connection on our own. God knew this, and that's why he instructs us not to forsake the assembling together. So that's our conclusion. Focus on the Savior, not the situation. Have confidence in God and be connected to Jesus be surrounded with faithful believers to keep encouraging each other. Those are three big things that if we integrate that into our lives, we can start experiencing the rest of the Lord. And that that basically means that we are not thrown about by the situations of life. We are stalwart, we are consistent in our walk with the Lord. And we have a confidence in Him. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have hard times and we're not going to have painful emotions. What it means is that when everything falls apart and we're left with just us and the Lord, He's there with us to help pick the pieces up and start rebuilding. Because that's a chance for a new type of resurrection in an area of life. God is good, God is faithful. As long as we're connected to him, we're going to be okay, no matter how hard it is. So that's it. If uh, Actually, do you guys mind playing just some like instrumental music? Um, because I'm going to close this part out and then we're going to do uh, the gift cards. Um, so just come up and just start fucking around on the guitar. <clears throat> so this is, uh, this is what I want to do for uh, gift cards. Um, I don't want it to be super long. Yes. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast.